Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Whatever it is you're listening to this. Hello and welcome back to what is now the fifth episode of the How the F- Do I Implement Service Operations podcast. Joined once again by my co-host, an all-round legend, let's be honest, Ashley Boxton. Hi, Ash. Hi, Phil. Hi, everyone. And uh, in the background, running around, doing stuff, but not yet getting me a cup of tea, is Carl Cooper. Hi, Carl. Hi, Phil. Hi, everyone. Hi, Carl. <laughs> so, um, let's kick off. Let's kick off with the weekly project update. Weekly project update. Love it. Tad dramatic, but I love it. It's cool. Good job. Um, right. So, uh, once again, sea of green on the project plan. This team are under such scrutiny <laughs> that they are literally busting a gut every single day, as do all Sapphire employees that make sure projects go smoothly. But, um, yeah, so it looks like the Azure piece has gone to plan. That's fully integrated. Events metrics are flowing through. Context engine rule set has been implemented. Incidents and MIMS are now being created and proposed. And standardized workflow is working. And it looks like we've had UAT sign-off. So we are good to rock into production, my friend. Um, unless you've heard anything different, actually. No, no, no. <coughs> Nothing different. I know there was some blockages at our end around getting UAT mm. sign-off because people haven't got access to um, sign-off on the work that had been completed. But I think the consensus across the stakeholders from the Azure side of things has been pretty positive. They're um, really excited to see it get into production. Yes, excellent. And then obviously we're keeping Mihao in until the end of the month just to add some additional context rules. That, that's the flow engine, everyone. That's what, what contextualizes everything against the CSDM business service models and so forth. So we've got some extra content packs we're going to create and put in uh, to handle different workloads and different types, which is good news. And then looking at the DC migration stuff, that is all green. We have got past the blockers on the initial design phase, and it looks like we have a quorum on... Um, on the design and implementation, uh, integration implementation, which is good news because that's 99% of the battle there. So it uh, looks like we're moving forward nicely on those two pieces. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier about under scrutiny, the team are, you, you couldn't be under any more scrutiny when it comes to the data center transformation, event management and discovery because you know, it's one of our top priority pieces of work inside um, National Grid's IT environment at the minute. So getting that foundational data for the CMDB stuff, and also the event management is of the utmost importance. So good work, Phil. Excellent. No, good work, team. Thank you, everyone. And um, are we going to get your project manager on next week as a guest? For which bit? Do you want Dawn Seymour, AI Ops? Yeah. Yeah, we'll cast I think it. we should bring Dawn on. Yeah, yeah, bring Dawn on since she can give um, an impartial project update. So next week we'll have yeah. a guest spot on the project update for, uh, for Dawn. I better warn her. <laughs> yeah, let her know. Excellent. And that was this week's weekly project update. Weekly project update. Fantastic. So um, I think actually we wanted to touch upon target operating model um, and ways of working with the technology once embedded into an organization, which is actually kind of crazy because last week, um, I don't know if anyone follows my daily dose over on um, LinkedIn or Twitter um, or my hashtag YouTube channel, 
got to get those drops in. Um, but uh, most of my week last week was talking to other customers that we've got around target operating model, how they're going to embed the technology, obviously in their organization, but then use it going forward and evolve it. And I know that you had your own takes on this, Ash. So I don't know if you want to, let's go into that. And then yeah. I can see how it's aligning with what I'm seeing in the industry as well in this kind of space. So, yeah. So you, when we, yeah. <laughs> it is... So when we talk about target operating model, obviously don't forget that our digital operations team are, are, are responsible. I've got um, architectural and architectural ownership of not just event management and CMDB. So we talk about target operating model for digital operations. I'd like to include observability into that. And that's important because when we think about the target operating model, I, I, I in my mind for several months now i've i've envisaged the digital operations team to have um admin or co-admin but definitely architectural ownership over the observability tools and that includes things like datadog dynatrace um solar winds next thing catch point uh, azure monitor aws cloudwatch whatever whatever them tools might be i think it's important that the team that are responsible responsible for the IT ops should have um, have that decision making and that control over them tools, not only over the AI ops engine, so the ServiceNow uh, event management uh, and HealthLog Analytics. He's got to have the full stack. And why I think that's important is a, a number of reasons. One, I'd like to see us decouple the tool away from the business unit or the business service, which is um, the tools being provided for. For example, I, I'd like to see the observability tool, which is provided for the desktop devices, to be decoupled from the desktop, um, maybe third-party support partner. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is we might, we might feel that the tool doesn't give us all the metrics and the events and logs, et cetera, that we want to be able to provide. But if we're coupled in with the desktop uh, strategy and the desktop management um, contract, they that might get bundled as part of that contract. So we can't decouple that and change the tool uh, as we see fit. But also, we need to have control so that um, any anything that's in the toolbox, we know by default as a prerequisite of that tool being put into production, one of the requirements is that it can be onboarded into ServiceNow Event Management or Health Log Analytics. Mm -hmm. If it can't, it shouldn't even be in production with National Grid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, we've got a vision as well that we'd like to do tool rationalisation, and we'd also like to um, where we've got a tool already deployed being used by one business unit. Let, let's say it was Prometheus. That tool shouldn't be used in the in the little siloed application stack over in, in you know the left hand side of the building. If it's controlled centrally, then that tool, if it's fit for purpose, can be reused in multiple different business units around the building or around the organization so that we are then not deploying additional siloed applications to achieve the same goal or provide the same data and the same metrics that a tool that's already been deployed is in there. We end up with gray IT. We don't want to do that. And as we move down the open telemetry standard uh, framework, Eventually, we want to rationalize tools and we might be using native capabilities and open telemetry. 
not tied into vendors. And if we if we're not in control of that centralized toolbox, then we might never never achieve that. I don't know what your thoughts are, Phil. No, I completely agree. Uh, and you know, it's this is a definite trend that I'm seeing from a lot of large enterprises around um, the open telemetry, open standards, which then brings tools such as you know LightStep front and center because you just need something that can process it, not actually generate it, monitor it. And that standard that was was brought in is is, is wicked, right? wicked powerful. It's really good. So that's a definite uh, a definite trend. And I think where you're talking about having central ownership, this is something I've, I've really banged on about with our customers. A lot of the, the problem that I see is that enterprises, large and small, do not own their toolkits or their data. And if they do own them, they are too siloed within the organization. There's no central control. So it's the wild, wild west out there. People can basically do what they want. They pay for additional toolkits on their credit cards. They bring stuff in through projects. You end up with, I've seen it, two or three instances of the same tool within an organization that have been brought in by different projects. And they haven't spoken. Obviously, the vendor's having a whale at the time because he's getting uh, three instances in, but it's not great for the customer. So that um, that centralization of capability, that centralization of toolkits and that management of those toolkits from that central function is hugely important. And let's go down a specific example for you guys or something that, okay, let's, let's not talk about specifically about you guys because obviously these are things that haven't changed yet. Let's talk about another one of my customers in the same space as you and also the same size and shape, right? So they have... Your typical big SIs that are in there, um, looking after them, you know, um, and as part of signing these SO agreements, all these support contracts, the SI comes in and brings their their monitoring alerting toolkits, which helps them drive down a support price point over three to five years by bringing automation or by bringing different capability in. Now. Usually, and, and, on, and, and as we know too well, right, on big, large-scale programs or programs like that, there are delays, there are issues, technical issues that can't be overcome, and it's very hard to demonstrate you actually get to where you end up going from when you started, um, and that drives down customer satisfaction, perceived service, and so forth, and you're locked into this um, supplier agreement. Now, let's say, for instance, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out with that supplier, and you're like, okay, SI, thank you for your business over the last three years, but we're going to terminate the contract. So we're going to bring a new vendor in. What happens because those toolkits, those standards, that data is not centrally owned is that they go away and say, okay, fine. They uninstall all of their agents. They take away their instance of that dynamics or Dynetrace or Datadog or whatever it is that goes with them as does all of the knowledge, all of the historical data um, and, and all of the metric points that have been collected. And your organization is basically left to start again. So you then get another SI that comes in and wins the bid, wins the contract. Thank you very much. They come and install their toolkit, which is part of their SO. They're then bringing their standards there. Uh, you see where I'm going with this, right? You're yeah. in a perpetual cycle. You just about finish painting the Golden Gate Bridge and you have to start again, which means that you never have all of that data. You never have global standards. You never have control. And you never have any of the knowledge retained that will actually allow you to drive automation that can make a difference in your organization. Um, so central ownership, centrally owned tools and knowledge and function, it's fine to own a tool and have an SI run it for you. That's absolutely fine. But 
running it for you from a day-to-day technical hands on the ground, uh, boots on the ground uh, or, or fingers on keyboard, that's cool. But the architecture and the strategy of that toolkit should remain within you as in National Grid in that centralized team that are looking after everything because they're driving a roadmap of improvement into the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And then they're evolving the toolkit. They're evolving the process as to what they're seeing your technology landscape within your organization start to evolve too, shifting left into the cloud, Kubernetes clusters, whatever the next, you know, latest and greatest technical thing is, that needs to fit in with that roadmap. And now you can start to involve architecture. Now you can start to involve security that until this point are traditionally a little bit of a blocker on implementing something like this because number one, they don't understand it. Number two, they're worried about the access is going to be required. But I think the biggest thing is that they they know that you as an organization don't own the data. So how can they give access to a discovery tool which is owned by a third party, pushing data out into their data centers when it's you know critical infrastructure data that you're not retaining? So that's why they become blockers or, or they can't facilitate the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'd like to take it a step further, actually, as well. I'd like to not just decouple it from the vendors, but I want to. I also want to decouple it from the um, IT towers that are responsible for desktop networks, et cetera, et cetera. And you almost create this, I know the phrase is a bit corny, but this observability center of excellence where they're responsible, <laughs> if they're responsible for the real-time monitoring and real-time um, reliability of a of the end-to-end full stack of National Grid's infrastructure <laughs> and application products, then um, the observability center of excellence should be able to say what tools they need to make sure they can get real-time metrics or near real-time metrics. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's my take. It's got to be this centralized team that have the um, autonomy to go and decide what tools are used to enable them to provide the function to the, you know, effectively the CIOs. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And that, 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 that team will more than likely be made up of, you know, two to three architects that will have specialisms in different areas of technology stack that will sit in the architectural boards, that will sit, they must have a seat at the CTO table or the, the office of the CIO, whatever that looks like in your organization, you know, so they can directly influence or, or, or have um, uh, informed, informed discussions on the technology landscape and roadmap to understand the capability matrix that is going to be supplied and required and be working with teams like you mentioned desktop as an example. Yeah, the desktop team shouldn't own the monitoring toolkit. That should sit within that center of excellence. We have to come up with a better name. We'll, we'll get Carl from marketing. Obviously, he can brainstorm it. Carl, that's your homework. Come up with a better name than observability center of excellence uh, by next week if you can. Thank you very much. Um, and, and um, yeah, and, and but you're, that function of team that owns the toolkit, that owns the strategy, that owns the metrics, that owns that function should work with the desktop team to understand that requirement. Working with the architecture team to understand that you're switching to Azure Cloud VDIs in the next two years. You know, so you don't need to worry about upgrading the current version of I don't know, Nagios or whatever it is you're using for your for your monitoring in that specific area. But then to understand that actually you were doing a data center migration at the same time. So we require this type of information, this type of capability. Yeah. And that's where you come up with the capability commandments, right? So get the technologies. The technologies are no longer important, which platforms you're using. The capability commandments across different environments. 
you know, do you have a platinum or gold or, or whatever, you know, five-star rated application, which is your most important digital app that must be monitored and maintained and up for 99.99 because of regulation or customer SLA? Yes, then you use these five monitoring toolkits to drive metrics, events, and logs. Why are we using these five? Because these five have these capabilities. If your application is a different shape and size, you would use these five because they have the capabilities required for that application. And this conversation yep. literally earlier today, where they're like, oh, you know, should we have Datadog or should we have Dynatrace or should we have AppD or should we have um, Lightstep? The answer is you could quite happily have a blend of all four, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's no single use case that says you can only use Datadog. Well, let's think about your organization. You've got a massive SAP farm, right? Uh, running hugely complicated um, applications, PO, BO, BI, et cetera. If you're monitoring that, AppDynamics by far and away have the best app app agent on the marketplace. They, they're the best thing to monitor your SAP estate. You've got a cloud native application that's built. Datadog are best in, in Azure cloud um, uh, in terms of nativity um, in, in monitoring APM on the cloud stack. You should use that over there. Oh, you've built an application which is completely homebrew, which is um, on the open source. Well, Lightstep is a great log aggregator or, or metric yep. aggregator in that step. So actually, you've got room for all of them and multiple versions of it, free tier, paid tier, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's about the capability and then defining those standards and then def- and, def- and, and offering those capabilities and standards to the teams that are implementing the stuff, your development teams, or running things like EUC and desktop on the ground. I'm yeah. really excited about that then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm running out of time already. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm not going to be every, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. I think and we have seen, you know, I can think of one app, one monitoring application that we've got in, in Grid at the minute where we've got three instances of it. And it should, mm-hmm. it should, just be, should literally just be one. It, there might need to be some um, segmentation of network or, or um, business unit but that that tool is deployed in three probably three different instances, three mm-hmm. different license agreements, three different management processes, three different security, three different types of configuration. It's not standardized, yeah. and it, realistically, it, it should be because you know that that observability center of excellence or w- whatever we're going to brand it as. That's not just responsible for the licensing and. Um, management of that tool, it should also be responsible to make sure that that tool is configured as per the digital operations principles and guardrails to make sure it's not mm-hmm. stepping outside these boundaries that we've already established and to make sure that teams like security are on board and, you know, approve that tool to be used. Because, we you know, you, you touched on it earlier about someone can just get the credit card out, go and buy a tool, install it in their little siloed application. And all, half, half the organization or three-quarters of the organization won't know anything about it. It would just be sat there. I'm not sure how they would get it in, installed. You know, I'm making it sound really simple to do something in Grid when it, it's not. Um, but it, you know, it's, we're trying to move away from that um, scenario where people are able to go and get the tools they want to do the job without actually considering that there might already be a tool that already does it. We have a, there's an enterprise architecture principle in, in, in National Grid where we should look to leverage an existing tool where possible. So don't go and introduce mm-hmm. something new and increasing your, you know, the, the technology landscape. When we've already got a tool inside the company that's already doing that, you should look to leverage that first. Yeah, no, completely agree. Completely agree. And having a 
global domain owner and a, and a technical team that works together. So, you know, I've mentioned, we've mentioned having, um, let's take traditional, you've got infrastructure, database, APM and, um, uh, and network. They all have different toolkits, which are owned as part of this one function. It's part of the global standards team. You've got your, your standards that you implement into your application. You have your standards on baselining. That all talks into the ServiceNow automated AI ops platform, which builds its benchmarks and has those workflows generating yeah, actionable insights, meaningful workflow, incidents, major incidents, et cetera, right? But the parts and makeup of that team will be the ownership of those four tools that I mentioned there. Each will have to have its own architect with its own technical bodies underneath there. But with one person sitting on top of the whole function, driving the strategy for your automated AI ops or service operations um, uh, department, which in your, your case will be the UTOC, right? The UTOC owner must define the strategy for which direction it's going in. Are you going to go and switch to open telemetry? By the way, I, I think open telemetry is a new concept that we're introducing here for the first time. If you're interested, it's an open protocol. Go to opentelemetry.io. There's all of the information about that. It's really, really cool. Um, but back to my kind of point there, the, the UTOC owners, one in the UK, one in the US, will have to work together to define the overall strategy on which toolkits, capabilities, and so forth, how the data is going to be used, how it's going to be interpreted. You've got a long journey ahead of you. You mentioned you've got one toolkit three times in, in different uh, units. You've got I don't, God knows how many toolkits out there in total. Yeah. There, there is now a transitional journey to decide on which capabilities uh, are required, therefore which toolkits you can use against different tiers and different environments, and then your three years transition plan on collapsing these toolkits that you're going to, you know, basically make redundant and, and get rid of from the organization into the toolkits that you're going to keep. And then how are you going to integrate those toolkits you're keeping to use that data and to bolster your view and your overall service operations implementation? Um, you know, and that's going to be the transitional state. We're building the capability to facilitate that now on the now platform. You know, we're integrating with basically everything. So there's a wider transitional piece. Um, and, and this is a place that so many enterprises that I talk to are finding themselves in right now. I think they're only just starting to get to the realization that this is now, now you have the capability. And some of them, we built the capability already, right? On a bit, a bit of a smaller scale than you guys. Um, but now they've got a two to three year transitional approach to, to migrate into that final end state. And we're helping with that. Um, we, we, you know, with expanding Dynatrace or Datastore or whatever it may well be, but it's now the realization of, of embedding that technology and infusing it. But that central control is so important because you can stop this bloating of toolkits happening yeah. again. You can stop people going off and doing their own thing or as a project just spinning out a thing because you now infiltrate you know, project design, you infiltrate architecture, you infiltrate um, service operation, uh, not service operations, what's it called? Service transition. You know, yeah. On the checklist, okay, what capabilities, what monitoring capabilities are you using? Are they from the checklist, the smorgasbord of stuff that's been approved? Yes, they are. Great. You're golden. Off you go. No, it's not. Well, this can't go through. This can't go anywhere near production because it's not part of our global standards. What you're doing is a slap on the wrist. Go and talk to the, uh, the, the service ops team. I don't know if Rob no. spoke to you about his SRE function he's looking at building as well. As he mentioned, that's all. I mean, it's really cool. Um, I, haven't called, I haven't spoken to Rob in about a month since we started doing this, actually, so I don't like I'm saying, but <laughs> uh, no, I haven't spoken to him about that. So when yeah, he so, asked me to do it. 
so yeah, he's you mentioned then about you know things going through service transition transition and uh helping out project teams. Rob's come up with a, a good vision around an SRE function, almost like a tiger team that is multidisciplined in all the observability tools that can go and put out fires when there's a P1 or a P2 running and say, you need these logs generating or you need this tool deployed to help you fix that or wh- whatever's missing around observability and rely- reliability on a product or an application stack. Um, this SRE function should be able to just fly in, help out, jump out, go to the next problem. Mm-hmm. I think it's still being explored a little bit at the minute. Um but the concept of it sounds really good. It'll be a very high, highly skilled, um, fast-paced team that move quickly to to resolve issues, educate people um, on what, what they should be doing, um, and, and then move on to the next one. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that develops. No, that sounds like a, like an interesting concept. We should get Rob on to talk about that actually. Um, yeah, go into a bit more kind of detail about it because I think that's something that everyone could benefit from. Being able to have that detached function that can literally swoop in, right? Let's make sure you're aligned, and you can have multiple touch points, couldn't you, for that team to come in at design, onboarding, yeah. transitional phase, and then maybe like six months into run, is this working out, etc. And then that all feeds back into continuing improvement helping redefine the standards and, and so forth. I was talking to another customer earlier last week and we were talking about the documentation or how we're going to define these standards out. I think you end up with a number of different docs. You end up with or a number of different standards. Your, your, your target operating document, which will be what the team structure looks like and what toolkit's going to be used for which function. Then you'll have a technical architectural document which shows... Service now in the middle, the whole AI ops function and how everything strings together and the capability that that brings. Yep. And then you'll have a document for or a library or a repo for each of the toolkits that you've got that you're now defined capability offerings that, is de- the de- that detail how users can interact with it, what the APIs are, what the standards are for deploying, what the error codes look like, what the monitoring stack looks like, what the log files look like for each of these applications. And then you have uh, you have how it, how it technically works, technically how it's put together, and then how it operates in the real, in the human world. Yeah, those that kind of three tier of, uh, of documentation and standards that then work together. There are living, breathing documents there, living, breathing standards set that evolve over time uh, and aren't just static. And I think once you get to that level, you're just so far down the maturity path, it's really easy to just refine it and, and continue to improve that as you move forward. So yeah. obviously we've got to we've got to define that. We've got to bring your organization along that journey, uh, yeah. which is an operational and a, and a paradigm shift as much as anything. Yeah. I think that's the big challenge. It's the organizational cultural change that's needed. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the multi-year transition no. that you mentioned earlier, three years. Yeah. Good. All right. Listen, um, that has flown by. That has absolutely flown by. We're, we're, at, we're at 30 minutes already. So um, I think we should wrap it up. Let's try and yep. get um, uh, the, what's the name? Shell? Dawn. Dawn, Dawn Seymour. Where am I getting Cheryl from? Cheryl yeah, used to be. Building. I should know that. No, she, Cheryl used to be the product manager. Now it's Dawn. Right. Okay, good. Whew. 
Let's get Dawn uh, on to next week. Um, uh, uh, we'll get Carl to reach out to her and see if she'll come in. And then maybe we can get Rob in um, either next week or the week after to talk about the SRM function. That'd be quite interesting. Uh, and next week, let's, we'll try and go into a bit more of the, the weekly project update. It was a bit light touch this week. Uh, yes. So we'll go in with the kind of... With it, well, should we give a rundown on the whole program? Because we've touched on DC and we've touched on Azure. Let's give a rundown on kind of the whole program as to where we are with stuff. So maybe I'll invite uh, one of the project folks from our side to come in and give a good update as well and make that kind of most of the most of the podcast and then touch on some technicals. Um, well, I'm aware yep. that we've also had a bunch of emails that have come in um, asking some questions uh, from the podcast as well. So next week, we'll bring in our new function or a new feature, which will be... Um, I don't even call it fan mail, do you? I suppose it's uh, just, you know, questions and answers. Um, and so forth. there'd be fan mail for you, Ashley. Fan mail, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you caught me. Um, yeah, so we'll do some, a question and answer section next week and we'll try and kind of keep that up because um, we do want to encourage people to send in comments and questions and let, know, let us know what we can do better and, uh, and obviously if we can help out with any technical questions. So, Ashley, thank you very much for your time this week. Enjoy that as always, my friend, and I'll catch you next week. Carl, thank you very much. Um, Ashley, have a great week, my friend. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, everyone. Congratulations on making it to the end of another podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As usual, if you're not subscribed, please definitely consider it and leave any comments or suggestions on how we can improve the podcast series further in the usual place.